Well, good morning, everybody. I'm glad that you're here. If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant. Got some good news for you. After an extensive search over months and months and months and months and months and months and months, uh, we welcomed a brand new elementary school director just this past week. Her name's Catherine Friday. And then on top of that, we hired a children's pastor this past week. His name is Dwayne Weaver. He's coming to us from just to the south. Interesting fact, Dwayne was my brother-in-law's college roommate 30 years ago. It's not a small world, it's a big family. And so we're super excited because of where that positions us with our kids' ministry. So parents, I just know you're going to have an opportunity to meet both of them. They're amazing individuals, and we're so excited about some of these new staffing breakthroughs. So we just wrapped up an intense series called Break Free. Week after week, we talked about besetting habitual sin and what it means to actually be set free or liberated from those kinds of broken patterns. I love being a part of a church that isn't afraid to tackle the tough stuff. And I thank Jesus for every person who took a step. Whether it was a big step, a little step, or a first step, it doesn't matter. All of the steps matter. And we saw week after week, the front of the church is filled with people who were being prayed for. And I think that's amazing. I appreciated hearing stories from so many of you. And I'm so thankful for the work that God's doing in our lives. For the next couple of weeks, we're going to head in a completely different direction. We're making a hard left turn. And then we're going to start a series after this next two weeks where we get ready to ramp up towards Easter. Excited for all of that. If you didn't notice, our whole world changed in 2020. What some called the great limitation changed the world as we knew it. A widely debated health crisis introduced limitations in various degrees all around the world. My personal experience as a pastor with the Great Limitation was adjusting within five days to a completely different way of doing church and helping people calm their fears. Google went crazy with people searching for information and embedded in one of the most searched questions on Google was actually a question that's been around for century upon century upon century. The question was, are we in the end times? The Great Limitation hit the business world and sparked what became known as the Great Resignation. People just started thinking, if this is the end of my life as I know it, I'm not going to finish it doing something I hate. So I'm going to go and do something completely different. And people began to resign or quit by the thousands. With the onset of remote work, people started figuring out that, that it was easier to just start kind of coasting and the great resignation morphed into the great abdication where people were quiet quitting people were sitting at home they just stopped working and wanted to see how long it would take their company to figure out that they were doing nothing in both the great resignation and the great abdication embedded in the google search in the top five questions was this question are we living in the end times Right up there with how do I fake my presence in a meeting or how do I loop record myself for Zoom <laughs> were these other questions. What is really going on? The next iteration of life was the great relocation where people literally moved. Some wanted to move closer to family in case another great limitation happened. Others wanted to move to places that aligned a little bit more with their values and their standards of morality. Others moved to simply find affordable housing and new careers. And all the while, if you were paying attention, in magazines, editorials, chat boards, podcasts, discussions about the doomsday clock, global warming message boards all over the world, embedded in the background was this tiny little question. Is this the end? As of today, we have now shifted to what I call the great fixation. That's what I'm calling it. 
People are fixated on whatever issue they deem is the very most important and you're allowed to have your opinion, but it better not disagree with what they happen to be fixated on in that moment. Spy balloons, UFOs, highly classified documents being found in private homes, a satanic worship song at the Grammys. Everybody is just like, yeah, ah, ah, ah. And in the background is this question. And some of you are wondering, where in the world is Grant going with this this weekend? I'll answer that in a moment. I promise you the answer will be hopeful and encouraging. In recent days, this question is popping up again with startling regularity. As people question the craziness of the world, this question, are we coming to the end, has emerged once again. A while back, I'm down in Seattle, driving along, guy standing on a street corner with a sign that says, the end is near. I rolled down my window and yelled out, I hope so. <laughs> that is not what he was expecting according to the look on his face. And as I drove by, he flipped his sign over. On the other side, it said, why lie? I need weed. That's what it said <laughs> on his sign. <laughs> now some of you are really wondering, where is Grant going with this? Can I just give you a word of wisdom? This question about the end of the world's been around forever. And it's not going anywhere. And I think it would be good for all of the followers of Jesus to be reminded by Jesus about the perspective we're supposed to have. Matthew 24, Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Christ and will deceive many. You will hear wars and rumors of wars. Oh, here it comes. But see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Jesus is saying, excuse me, people calm down don't get yourself tied up in a knot that's not going to help anybody I get asked this question a lot 4 o'clock every Wednesday I do a live YouTube show uh, it's called question and response and we do it through jesus.net slash live if you'd like to join me it's basically a weekly ask me anything and we bring in questions from around the world. They're done live in real time. They go into a chat box. My friend Drew moderates the whole thing. And then I just start answering questions. Last week, we had people from Jamaica, Ghana, Malaysia, Singapore, all around the world. The number one most popular question that we get asked is, how do I know for sure it's the voice of God? That's number one. But right behind it is this question. It happened again this week. Are we in the end times? Here's my answer. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, and neither do you. But here's one thing that I do know. We're one day closer. That's what I know absolutely for sure. I've got no idea, but in my preparation to answer this question in a way that doesn't seem trite or flippant or dismissive, I ran into this fascinating passage of Scripture, and we're just going to spend two weeks tearing it apart. 20 descriptors. We're going to do 10 this week. We're going to do 10 next week. The Apostle Paul is writing to his protege, Timothy, and he timelessly shares what the Holy Spirit of God has pressed into his heart. 2 Timothy chapter 3, if you want to follow along in your Bible, that's great. Otherwise, you can follow on the screen. But mark this. Apparently, it's a big deal. Mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, 
without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. Quick question. In your dealings with people these days, in your dealing with the world, in your dealing with culture, in your interactions, do any of these descriptors sound somewhat accurate? Now, here's what I don't want you to do. Do not read this list and go, oh, this is horrible. This is horrible. People are horrible. People are horrible. I need, I need to hide. This is so bad. It's getting worse. I'm out. That's the wrong response for the people of God. Don't be alarmed, be engaged. Don't be scared, be involved. Don't back off, press in. Don't blend in, stand out. I put it this way in your outline. Don't become so fixated on the darkness, you forget about the light. There's so many believers these days, like, I don't know what we're going to do. I don't know what we're going to do. Everything is just falling apart. It's falling apart. Jesus said he was the light of the world. Jesus said you were the light of the world. Come on, people. Let's start shining light where it needs to be. If you need a reminder, here it comes. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. If you read the end of the story, in the end, Jesus wins. Jesus is the light of the world, and if you know Jesus, you're a part of that light and have nothing to fear because I have never walked into a dark room, flipped on the light, and had the darkness win. Never happens. It's not even a contest. The title of this message is Living the Opposites. And I actually stole it from Rick and Ann Campbell, who lead our after-service prayer team ministry. They use this incredible phrase whenever we're training people on how to pray with people up front. They say, we pray in the opposite spirit. So when somebody comes forward courageously and shares that they're fearful, we pray in the opposite spirit. We pray peace and the calm of Jesus over top of their life. When someone comes forward and shares that, that they're dealing with anger, we pray into the love that God has for them that can overwhelm their anger. It's the opposite spirit. And I want to do exactly that same work using these difficult descriptors of people because when we live in the opposite spirit, here's the guarantee. God changes the spiritual landscape. So we're going to do 10 this week, 10 next week, and then comes the story of the resurrection of Jesus at Easter. I hope you are ready. Here we go, living the opposites. Here's what Paul says first. He says, in, in the world, people will be lovers of themselves. What's the divine opposite of that? It's for us to purposefully love others, to love others other than ourselves. The Bible tells us that, that towards the end, people are going to become increasingly fixated on themselves. Yep. What do we hear? My truth, my opinion, my rights, my future. What's the divine opposite to self-centeredness? It's being others-focused. This is the heart that obeys the scripture, to love and serve other people, to consider the needs of others greater than yourselves, to love your neighbor more than you love yourself. This is the heart that staffs and creates a weather shelter in downtown Bellingham. This is the heart that feeds people through the CZK farm. This is the heart that builds bridges to our global partners. This is the heart behind every single thing we do. The light of the world shines brightly when we choose to love others instead of merely looking after me, mine, 
and ours. One of the great ways that we can love others is to actually share the message of Jesus with them. And this is how we do this. We do this by actively inviting people to join us to hear the story of Jesus. Truthfully, the last three years have made it really, really hard to invite people, friends and family to hear this amazing story. Let's just be honest, right? The political climate, church scandals around the world, division everywhere, it's made people a little bit gun-shy. They're fearful of what kind of response they'll get if they take a risk and say, would you like to come and join me for church? Even though independent Gallup polls say 85% of people would accept an invitation to church if someone they knew and trusted would just invite them. You know what's really sad? Less than 1% of church people have ever invited anyone to join them. Why? Because we're afraid. Do you know what wins over fear every single time? A love that compels us to share the message of Jesus. Family, we need to put some fear aside. We need to no longer be afraid of someone's response. We need to put that behind us and focus on the fact that Jesus said, greater love has no man than this. That a man would lay down his life for his friends. Don't close the door, do the opposite. Open the door, invite somebody in. Easter is an amazing time to do that. Secondly, Paul says they're gonna be lovers of money. Well, what's the opposite of that? It's to live a life of generosity. I don't know about you, but I see this, right? I see people falling in love with money because they think money's actually going to be their security. And the Bible makes a bold statement. It says the love of money, not money itself, nothing wrong with money, it's an inanimate object. The love of money is the root of all evil. So here's the deal. If I don't want the root of all evil to be in my life, what's the divine opposite? It's to follow the example of God and live a life of extravagant generosity. Most famous verse in scripture, John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave. He gave. We're called to give time, talent, resources, invitations, care. At the family meeting, somebody asked me about CTK's finances. They said, you guys don't really talk about it very much. And my summary was this. God's people have been faithful. In the face of inflation, interest rates, and the high cost of living, God's people have been faithful. We talk about this a lot. The truth is when we're obedient to God's call to put him first financially, when we're generous, when we realize that generosity is a lifestyle of obedience, when we refuse to worship at the feet of our pay stub, when we live like Jesus, the light of the world shines. I hear it over and over again from new people. They say, when you guys say that thing, like if you're new here, we don't want anything from you. It's like, what? What do you mean you don't want it? We don't want anything from you. If you're just trying to figure out church in Jesus, awesome. That's for the family of God. And and you just get to come and be. So let me talk to the family for a second. You've been faithful in times of uncertainty. Here's the beautiful thing. With Jesus, there is no uncertainty. Have you read the end of the book? We win. It's awesome. It's beautiful, right? And when we're faithful with a little, Jesus allows us to be faithful with a lot. Now in full transparency. We had an amazing end of the year. Praise God, stability all the way across. Then came January, it was horrible. It was horrible. January was down, but, but here's what I know. God's people, at least here, always respond in faithfulness. The Thailand church planting story is a perfect example. A couple of years ago, 
We challenged you during Missions Month, which is coming up in March, to give to a church planting project in Thailand. I met with some of the leaders of that movement last week. When we first started, our goal was to plant 300 house churches in Thailand. We helped them get started. Since then, they've planted 2,971 house churches. And they're on track to plant 2,222 more just in 2023 alone. You know where it started? With people who said, we're going to live the divine opposite. The world's doing this with all of their stuff. We're going to go like this. Let's keep moving. Then Paul says, people are going to become more and more boastful. What's the divine opposite of boastful? It's to be quietly confident. The word boastful here in Greek is alazon, and it means to, to puff up your own activity. What's the divine opposite of that? It's that we don't bring glory to ourselves. We acknowledge every earthly accomplishment started with God's strength, his power, and his knowledge. We don't waste time talking about what we've done for Jesus. We use every word to talk about what Jesus has done for us so that he gets all the glory. I heard you singing about it earlier in the service. My hallelujah belongs to you. Do you know you can't even utter that without the breath that God gives you? Here's the next one, proud. The divine opposite of that, of course, is humble. This word proud literally means excessive or improper self-esteem. And this is the theme, isn't it, of our self-actualized culture. You hear people saying that. You're all that. You are the master of your own destiny. Your truth is the truth. Question, does any of that line up with the savior of the world, limiting himself in human skin, walking amongst his creation, serving them, feeding them, healing them, forgiving them, and washing their feet. It does not line up. Jesus said, if you want to become great in my kingdom, you don't climb up a corporate ladder. You become the servant of all. There was an award ceremony not too long ago. The, the actor who portrayed Jesus in the Passion of the Christ, Jim Caviezel, in his acceptance speech, said this. Your name may not down, appear down here in this world's hall of fame. In fact, you may be so unknown that no one knows your name. The Oscars and the praise of men may never come your way, but don't forget God has rewards that he'll hand out someday. This crowd on earth, they'll soon forget when you're not at the top, they'll cheer like mad until you fall and then the praise will stop. Not God, he never does forget, and in his hall of fame, just by believing on his son forever, there's your name. I tell you, friend, I wouldn't trade my name, however small, that's written there beyond the stars in that celestial hall for all famous names on earth or the glory that they share. I'd rather be an unknown here and have my name up there. So, Paul keeps moving. He never takes his foot off the gas pedal through this entire thing. But we're going to take a moment to take a deep breath, okay? Then he says, people are going to become more and more abusive. The divine opposite of that, of course, is kind and loving. It's interesting. The word abusive here has a literary tone. We're so quick to label someone as an abuser if they would ever dare raise their hand to another human being. But this word is speaking to those of us who may not hit with our hand, but we're more than willing to hit with our words. 
In the face of abuse comes God's call to his people to not let a single unwholesome word come out of your mouth or out of your fingers. What's on the opposite side of the spectrum? Oh, when these words stand out, words that are kind, loving, truthful, gracious, compassionate, without anger, hopeful, succinct, honest, and pure. Before you hit send this week, run your words through that grid and see whether or not you might have to use something called self-control and the delete button. Then Paul throws this one in. Disobedient to their parents. And all the parents in the room are like tapping their kid going, okay, kid, listen up. Grant's got something for you right now. (laughs) Can I remind every single person in this room, regardless of your age, you're a child of God and you have a heavenly father. We're all the children of a heavenly parent. We don't get to jump right over top of this one and assume he's just talking to kids. He is. He's talking to kids, the children of God. I love the scripture from Jesus. He just lays it out. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things I say? We honor God and shine his light when we do what our God has asked us to do. And if you've read the book, here's what he keeps calling us to do. Serve, sacrifice, call on him, be in the world but not uh, of it. Defend the widow and the orphan, be salt and light and go to the ends of the earth. This is not for the faint of heart. And in the end days, we're swimming against the, against the stream. All this force is coming this way. This is when the people of God have to lock in, lock down, and start moving forward. Then he talks about, in those last moments, people will become more and more ungrateful. Well, the divine opposite is pretty simple, right? It's grateful. The word ungrateful here is active. It's not passive. Ungratefulness means a steadfast refusal to show gratitude. So you know you should be grateful, but you're just like, I'm not going to do it. It's an active stance that only the person that we think we should be grateful for is me and my hard work. And Paul and Timothy and Jesus all stand up and go, no, no. If you want to stand out in a world of ungratefulness, Simply show some gratitude. How does that happen? Let's start with this. What if for one week you refused to complain about every little thing and instead thanked God for the abundance that is all around you? You might find that it has a transformation on your heart. I've said this before. We are really, really, really good at complaining. And what makes that so ironic is that every single person in this room, regardless of your economic status, is still in the top 4% of the richest people on the planet. Yeah, but Grant, my life is just so hard. Have a snack, take a nap, change your attitude, let's go. We are so blessed. And we've been blessed to be a blessing. Let me say that again. We have been blessed to be a blessing. Let's keep moving. Paul says unholy. What's the divine opposite of that? It's pure. 
Well, the world is full of unholy examples that are at your fingertips. <laughs> that word unholy has taken on a whole new meaning since last Sunday night. If you don't know what I'm talking about, good, leave it that way. My question to people is when you see something unholy, do you click and go further or do you turn it off? Do you listen to the call of God in the opposite direction? Because Philippians 4 says this, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. And then Paul says, whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. Live out the divine Opposites. Don't walk in the direction that everybody else is going. Don't be afraid to turn around and go the opposite way because in walking the opposite way, you'll find yourself at the foot of the cross. Then Paul says, in those days, whenever they are, people are going to become increasingly without love. Well, the divine opposite, that's pretty simple, right? To be filled with love. We live in a world without love. And I'm not talking about the kind of love that we say, you know, like, I really love my morning coffee. So do I, but that's not what he's talking about here. I'm talking about a Jesus kind of love, a love that describes him. 1 Corinthians 13, you've heard it at every wedding you've probably ever gone to. It's a beautiful description of human love and the way it's supposed to act, but it's based on the fact that because God is love, you should be able to put the name of Jesus at the beginning of every single one of these statements. Love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It's not easily angered. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Why? Love never fails. That's good Bible right there. Last one for this week. Paul says, in those last moments, people are going to become more and more unforgiving. They're going to choose to hold grudges. They're going to choose to take revenge. They're going to take vengeance into their own hands. They're going to hold people at arm's length because they believe that person hurt me and I will never, ever, ever forgive them. Can I tell you what's happening when you choose that? You're killing yourself. You're putting yourself in a prison of bitterness. And the only way out is forgiving Boy, it's so easy to hold a place of unforgiveness, isn't it? They hurt me. I will never forgive them. Jesus chose the divine opposite from the cross. Father, forgive them. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. We're going to come back to that next week. You could look at this in so many different ways. Divine opposites. Darkness and light. Good versus evil. You can break it down every way, but, but my question to you is actually this. If the end is near, why does it actually matter? Here's my question. Would it change anything? 
I sat by the bedside of a man who was diagnosed with stage four cancer. He was given three to six weeks to live. Do you know what was so beautiful in that moment? He looked at me and said, you know what I'm so thankful for? I don't think I have to change a thing. If you found out Jesus was coming back in two weeks, if you had to make a huge course correction, here's what I'm telling you. You're not living the divine opposites. But we all can. You know what Whatcom County needs so desperately? It needs some Jesus people that will live out the divine opposites. While the world's going that way, we're going this way. We're gonna do it different. We're going to make a decision today that I'm going to allow these opposite characteristics to pervade every single moment of my life. When I'm in line at the coffee shop, when I'm driving down the guide, when I'm dealing with my employees, when I'm standing in line at the bank, when I'm getting my groceries, when I'm talking to my children, when I'm talking to my parents, when I'm frustrated and don't know what to do with it, I'm gonna ask Jesus into that moment and say, Jesus, help me live out the opposite. Because what I'm feeling right now is not good. And it's boiling inside of me. And I want to unleash it so the end of the world will come in this moment. Like, that's what I want, but I'm not going to do it. Instead, I'm going to choose a different way, the Jesus way. You know, the great hope for the followers of Jesus is that he promised at the end of the end that he was coming back, which is why we preach Jesus Christ came, lived, died, rose again, coming again. And the Bible says, oh, that, that's called the blessed hope. What a day that will be. <laughs> wow. My Bible says there's a day coming when Jesus is going to split the sky and he's gonna come looking for those who are living the divine opposites. My friends, leave no doubt whose team you're on. Don't be caught up in all of the hype, hand-wringing and wondering. The world is just falling apart. Jesus told us it would going to. He also said this, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart because I have overcome. That's just half. Can you handle 10 more next week? <laughs> they get more intense, just so you know. Tell you what, next week, here's what we're gonna do. We're just gonna go out for coffee, okay? That's what we're gonna do. We're going out for coffee in church for the message. I'm excited to see what God does. Here's what I, I'm gonna say to you right now. So many of you have been responding over the last number of weeks at the end of a service by saying, I need someone to pray with me. The after-service prayer team will be standing here at the front. Don't miss out on the opportunity to come and talk with another person. Nobody's gonna judge you. Nobody's gonna shame you. Nobody's gonna embarrass you. We would all love to pray for you. And if, if we could just have one moment today where, where we could come forward and say, look, look, here's the deal. I struggle. I struggle with that generosity thing. Would you pray for me? What if we could get over ourselves? And welcome Jesus into those difficult conversations. 
So here's what we're gonna do. In the middle of darkness, it's really, really important that we raise a standard. So I'm gonna pray, and then the worship team's gonna come back and join us. And we're gonna raise a hallelujah together because in this much darkness, a little bit of light goes an awfully long way. So would you pray with me? Father God, now, we've heard your word and you are calling us into obedience and we want to obey. So Lord, this week, as, as our humanity bubbles up inside of us, God, I pray that our discipleship and our calling would choose the Jesus way, the divine opposite, every time we're tempted to go down the wrong road. So God, now as a church family, we're, we're gonna stand to our feet and in the middle of the darkness around us, we're gonna raise a hallelujah because we've learned what it means to sing in the middle of a storm, to say it doesn't matter when the end is, I'm ready. And I wanna invite others into being ready. So Jesus, hear the cry of our heart. And then may we respond in worship and in prayer. I pray these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. amen. All right, church, stand up. It's time to worship and let's worship together. <laughs>